There's a story told of an American Civil War veteran, and he wandered all over the place. He was a wanderer. Um, he begged. Uh, he couldn't get a job because of the injuries that happened to him uh, from the war. And um, it was a tough life for him to just get something to eat. But every time that he'd run into somebody as he was begging, he would always talk about his friend, Abraham Lincoln. And, of course, you know, everybody believed that. they go, yeah, right, yeah, sure. And uh, they'd go on. Anyway, he begged and uh, he, he would steal uh, to get what he had to get. And then one day one man said to him, um, okay, I heard you say that you know Mr. Lincoln. Uh, I'm not really sure that you know Abraham Lincoln, uh, the president, but um, he says, uh, give me some proof. How can you prove to me you know him? And this wanderer, this veteran, took out his wallet, and in his wallet was a piece of paper, and it had Abraham's signature on there. Well, the man started reading it. Now, the, 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 the veteran actually couldn't even read very good, but he handed it to the man, the man looked at it, and, and he looks at it a little bit more, and his, his chin just hit his boots. He couldn't believe it, what he just saw. What it was written on there was not only personally authorized by Abraham Lincoln, but was a pension for the rest of his life. And it was enough to be able to get by very well. And it was signed by the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. And so the man said to the veteran, why on earth are you living like a tramp in the streets when Mr. Abraham Lincoln has made you rich? And so it goes us today. Did you know that we are winners? We are conquerors? We are victors? I mean, we are champions. We are more than conquerors. Matter of fact, we can't get conquered. Did you know that? Yeah, you know it doctrinally, but do do we really think that always? And, uh, of course, you look at that one key verse that we had just before this on the offertory. And uh, we'll be getting to that verse. Uh, we are on the winning side, folks. Uh, this has been uh, a great World Series message. So this is our World Series message. We have victory. We are the champions. We win. We win. Isn't that great to know? We have tremendous blessings as Christians. John wrote this epistle so that people would know their blessings. And one of the greatest blessings that we have is assurance. We could carry it around the rest of our lives Well, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ and and I know that all His work is finished, but uh, I have to keep it up. I'm not for sure if I'm going to make it in there. Right now, I think I can. And I think I'm going to be there. But I don't know how I'm going to be next year. You know, you could really wonder that, couldn't you? But He has given us, as Christians, full, complete assurance. Isn't that great? Now, that's one thing that achieves. But John also had another thing that he wanted to achieve, and it was this. For the people who weren't really Christians, who were professing to be Christians, he wanted to show them that they really may not be, or they are not. He wants to unsettle them. He wants to give assurance and a calmness and a peace for the ones who are Christians, and for the other ones, he wants to make them unsettled. So he's accomplishing two things. And he has, again, I say this, I say this every week, he has a series or three strands of tests. And we'll see all three of those today in this little uh, text that we're uh, using, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 5. 
We are in the last chapter of 1 John now. Can you believe that? It just seems like we started just a couple of weeks ago, doesn't it? Uh, but, but here we are. We're in the last chapter. We're not going to finish today. But uh, we know those tests, you ought to know by now, one of them is doctrinal. And that's what do you say about Christ, for instance. Uh, another one is the social test about loving our brothers, loving God, loving brothers. Do, do we do that? And then there's another one about obedience. You can have those first two, but if you don't have obedience, then you're worthy of uh, questioning yourself whether you're a Christian or not. But if you do those, and as, a, as John, the way that he puts it, as a practice, if that's a continual practice in your life, you can't be perfect. We're not talking perfection here. We're talking what? Direction. If we're going towards that direction, that's good because we know we can't be perfect. So, anyway, in this section of the day are those three tests. Believing, love, and obedience. If those are traits of you, you have uh, those uh, intermingled in your life, then you have victory for eternity. For the rest of your lives, all the way on through eternity, which is forever. Now, we are called overcomers in this text. I like that. That's a new name for us. It's not new, but it's new as we go into here. We are overcomers. Hey, let's say that together, overcomers. Overcomers. Now, I, I want to emphasize that, and as you say that, we hear it loud, that's our names. That's one of our names. We are overcomers. We're champs. I haven't been too much of a champion on any team. You know, I can't think of too many baseball teams, basketball teams, where we were the final elite champions. Had some pretty good teams, but I think I even, I can't remember a, a final tournament championship for the whole year where we won. But I'm on this team here. I get to win. Get to win completely. At the best. Who cares about all that other stuff anyway? Doesn't really matter. All the cardinal stuff, it'll be forgotten eventually. But it's kind of nice to remember though, isn't it? <laughs> Wear all the hats and the shirts. It's fun. But, um, did you know that we're called sheep? We're called brothers and sisters. We are called brethren, sisters. We're called friends of God. We're called children of God. We're called the elect. We're called the chosen ones. Don't you guys like that? We're called servants. We're called slaves. We're called ambassadors. We're called living stones. How about temples? We are temples. And we are the temple. Um, Living sacrifices. Many more names. But this one right here really has a ring to it because we're in that text today. (laughs) We are unconquerable. Satan can't defeat us when it finally comes to the ultimate. Cannot. We beat Satan. We beat death. We beat sin. We beat the law. We beat it all. Because we're winners. We win. You know what we're called? We're called super conquerors. In Romans chapter 8, right at the end of that chapter, that one of the greatest chapters, it's a jewel in the ring, it's a, in the diamond ring, and it's the, the very apex where it says that we are more than conquerors. Everybody's heard that one, right? We are super conquerors. Hey, we're super sheep. <laughs> the sheep win. Wolves won't get us. How can we know that? John writes this and says, I've got some tests for you. Let's look at them. You guys ready? Chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him 
who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is He who overcomes the world but He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It's talking about believing. It's talking about overcoming. We are overcomers. So we go to the doctrinal test. The first test we go to is, what do we say about Jesus Christ? Well, in verse 1 and in verse 5, we're going we're gonna to skip some verses. We're going to hit verse 1, but the first part of verse 1, and then go right to the end of verse 5 where it says, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And in verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is God. He is deity. So the, the, the test there is the doctrinal test. Uh, the word is faith or believe. Uh, interchangeable. In the Greek word, the word is pistis, and it means to believe or to have faith. And this is objective kind of believing based upon some kind of objective truth. Uh, the word, uh, the word, there, the word faith. There, uh, I think it's very helpful in the time that we live in, uh, because this believing that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah is something that's a fact. It's doctrinal. Uh, we live in a postmodern culture, and in this postmodern culture, uh, people are always questioning any time you make a blanket statement. And we believe in truth. But if one doesn't believe in the absolute truth, then how can they know that Jesus is a Christ? Well, we trust in an eternal God. And He is the source of absolute truth or standards or values. He is the truth, isn't He? And so how do you explain that to them? Well, eventually it's going to finally come to what? Faith. We put our faith in that truth about Jesus Christ and we're willing to bet or gamble. It's not, that's probably not the proper word, but we're willing to stand upon this for our eternal lives, upon the truth that He is the Messiah. That's how rock-solid sure we are. We're, we can stand on it and we know it for sure. We're banking everything on that. And that's called faith. Now, that's not a faith that is worked up in your own natural minds and bodies and feelings, but it's faith that comes from God because that's what he's going to say here in, in the next part. But, so, belief or believe is found in verse 1. Do you see it there? Whoever believes, go down to verse 5 right at the, the end, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, you have believe on verse 1, and you have believe on verse 5. And you have a sandwich here. And you have when you have a sandwich, what do you have? You have bread on one side, bread on the other, right? And then you have something in between. Well, that's what we have going on here. And, and I actually am stealing this from uh, Alistair Beck. That's who said this. So, uh, I don't know where he got it from. Probably just made it up. But what's a sandwich made up? 
uh, made up of. It's filled with love, obedience, and victory. That's the words that you're going to see here that stick out so incredible here. What a sandwich, huh? Uh, we don't have a meal today after, uh, after the message, uh, which uh, lately we've been having those. It's pretty good, huh? But uh, this is our sandwich and our food today, guys. <laughs> we're, go- we're going to eat this great sandwich. So it's faith in the faith. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is... And then we'll go into born of God. Uh, the object of faith is Jesus Christ. People will say, well, you just have to believe. Believe in what? Just believe, right? That's what people will say. Just believe whatever you want to believe. Well, here is objective truth. We have to have faith in God. Something solid, objective. Uh, in the faith. I think we can put the word the in there. If we go to Jude, just before Revelation, and found in verse 3, I do believe. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, this is our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The Gospel. Believing in that Gospel. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. That He died for your sins. All that. That's the faith is what Jude puts out. In Hebrews 11, I'm not going to turn there, but that is the hall of faith. And you'll have people uh, like uh, Moses or Abraham who was before him or Isaac and Jacob, right? Uh, You just go right on through and you have the hall of faith. Uh, Those are people who just believed God. If you turn to Colossians 1, 3 and 4 you get faith coupled with some other terms also. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith. We're praying for you guys. We rejoice over you. We thank God for you because we heard of your faith. We heard it's real. The faith is what? In Christ Jesus. And then it says, and of your love. Isn't that interesting? There's faith and love together. And if you want to do one more, you look at verse 5, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. What do we have there? Faith, love, and hope. Or faith, hope, and love. What? These three gifts will remain. Those are really valuable. Did you know in Paul's epistles, he does that quite frequently? He does. So faith, hope, and love. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We give thanks to God always for you. We are just thanking God just constantly about you, you Thessalonians, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. They worked out their faith. They had faith. Labor of love and patience of hope in the object in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. So faith, hope, and love. The working faith, the labor of love, and patience and hope. That's interesting, isn't it? We have great hope, but it seems like we have to endure for quite some time. We have hope. We have hope that He's going to come back. It's the blessed hope. That's what gets us through every day when we battle and struggle and things seem real impossible sometimes. And we have hope because we know in the end how this is going to turn out. We win. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. 
Talking about Jesus Christ at the revealing of Him. There's the great hope. Uh, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's what we look forward to. The receiving the end of our faith. I'm going to bring it to culmination when we see all this is for something. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith is a gift of God, isn't it? Repentance is a gift of God. And so therefore, it's all from God. And we notice it's not worked up by us. What a faith. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that faith. In John 17.20, the great prayer that Jesus said the night before He was crucified, that prayer uh, that's called the intercessory prayer, one of the great prayers of all time, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their Word. Believe. Not only for the apostles is He praying for, but guess who? All the ones who would hear their Word and then believe. Guess what? That's where you keep on going through church history and you see the same ones that leads up to year 2011, bringing it right up to our time, the ones who believe in the same Word that they had, the apostles' doctrine. So He prayed for us at that time. Did you know when Jesus, before He was going to die, He prayed for us? That's for us. For the apostles, it's for us, for the whole church. Wow. People come to Christ through what the apostles wrote. They wrote, they preached the gospel, the apostolic message they gave. Now, there's an object of faith, and that's about the testimony of the life, the work, the words of Jesus Christ. Although you see it in the Gospels, but then you see it written out then by the apostles. The apostolic writers, they all affirm the historicity of Jesus Christ. So when you place your trust in this person, he historically existed. It can be proven through the writings outside the Bible. But most of all, right here in Scripture, there was a Jesus Christ. We're placing our faith in Him. The Gnostics tried to bypass that Jesus being the Son of God, didn't they? That He really didn't come in the flesh, right? So John is challenging that. So in our First John chapter 5, verse 1, he hits on Jesus as the Christ. And he's saying, hey, if you don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, then you can't believe He's the Son of God. If you don't believe he's that, that He's the Son of God, you can't believe Him as being the Messiah. You can't even believe in Jesus without that. It's an historical fact. Jesus is that. We have the Scriptures to prove it. There's a commentator. Last name is Plummer. And I think he put it very well when he said this. I'm going to read this quote. It is to believe that Jesus is the Christ. It is to believe that the One who was known as a man fulfilled a known and divine commission. That He was born and was crucified. He is the Anointed, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world. To believe this it is to accept both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is to believe that Jesus is what He claimed to be, one who is equal with the Father, and as such demands of every believer the absolute surrender of self 
to Him. That's a very, very important statement that he made because it says, I believe he existed in history, this Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be God. I am banking my whole life upon him. And if you can say that and you really mean it, then that's the same thing that Peter said when Jesus said, who do they say that I am? And they had all sorts of different answers. And then he said, Peter, who do you say that I am? He says, thou art the Christ, the Messiah the Son of the living God. That is what He stood upon. That's the massive confession that we all stand on. 2,000 years later, that's what true Christians say. Say the same thing. We confess. We are confessing Christians. We are saying that Jesus Christ has a superior, supreme value over everything else ever in the history of this world and what is to come. He gives us spiritual sight to see who He is. And it results in seeing Jesus as our treasure. There's no other treasure. Christ is our treasure. Everything else is going to burn up. But He's one. He's it. Our eyes have been opened to see who He is. Now, we get to that next phrase. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, we've covered that phrase, right? Is what? Born of God. I like this. You know where we're going on this, don't you? We're born of God. We're born from above. We're born again. It means whoever is believing, I want you to catch this, this is the literal tense of how it's putting on the Greek, whoever is believing has been begotten. Now that's the literal text. That's as literal as you can be. Whoever is believing, you're showing that you have been born of God when you believe. Continual believing, I want you to catch this, and I'm going to say it twice. Continual believing is the result of the new birth. Continual believing is the result of the new birth. Which came first? The new birth. And then you believing, say, Well, that's not how it was presented to me when I first came to Christ. But what he's saying here, we are born of God. Our belief is not the cause of our salvation. Doesn't that sound odd? Our faith is not the cause of our new birth. It's the result of our new birth. That's the way the text is set up and many other texts. Arminians teach that you can be born again as long as you keep believing. Once you lose that belief, then you've lost your salvation. Arminians teach that you have to have faith first and then you become born again. That's not according to John 3. It's not according to 1 John 5 here and many other verses I'm going to show here in a moment. What this says is whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ has been begotten of God. He causes the birth. When you became a baby or in in the womb before you were ever born, you didn't cause that, did you? And in salvation it's the same way. You didn't cause your faith, it was given to you, it came from above. He quickens you, He regenerates you, He gives you life first before anything else happens. 
So we have to be quickened in order to believe. And by the way, faith is this. Faith is a channel that comes from God to us. We are now connected with Him. We weren't before. How could we get that channel to Him unless it comes from Him? And that's what the born of God means. Or born again. Anathan. To be born from above. To be born of God. It's the result. Faith is the result. We have to be regenerated. The dead all of a sudden can hear and they listen to this voice and they are regenerated. Somehow he gets this life started. Let's go to John 3, verse 7. John wrote 1 John. John wrote the Gospel of John. I think this is incredible stuff. And it gives all glory to God when we really deal with this the way that it needs to be. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. What are you marveling about? He says, here it is. He uses a natural example. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. But you can't tell where it comes from, where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We don't see the wind. We see the effects of the wind. But we don't see it, do we? We see the results of what happened. And Jesus is saying this. And of course, Nicodemus is saying, how can this be? <laughs> that is coming from God. He's the only one that has the life. We don't. 1 Peter 1, 23. Exceptional stuff. This is how you got born again. You say, well, what about the faith? Just a moment. One twenty-three. Twenty-two is good to pick up. Since you have purified your souls, see, see, we purified our own souls in obeying the truth. And here's our qualifier: through the Spirit. Remember John three: through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Since you are pure, I did it because the Spirit of God did it. Here we go. Having been born again, born from above, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. How? Through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. That's how we got the life. The Word of God was spoken to us. The Gospel was spoken. We were regenerated. And then we believed God. We now had the channel to Him. We could see what He meant and who He is and all of those great precious truths. As we grow in Christ, we have that channel to Him. It's just like um, if you have cable TV or an antenna, satellite... Uh, you're not connected to those stations unless you have those. Especially these days, you, you have digital. Boy, you, you know, if you don't have something to do, you're not going to pick up anything, right? And there's a lot of channels that you'd love to be able to pick up, but you can't get them because you don't have no, you don't have any access. Yeah, there has to be that channel that, that gets there to them. Look in Romans ten seventeen. The Word of God. The people who deliver the Word of God. The people who deliver the gospel. We need those people, right? 
And they bring it to the lost. And then what happens? Verse 17. So then, faith, there's our word for the day. Faith, how do we get it? Comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Word of God is brought to you, comes in, regenerates you, you can now believe. Because He says in Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We're not, even, we're not saved by our faith. We're saved by what? Grace. And every Christian knows that. But yet I grew up all my life and I've heard it all my life, uh, especially at invitations, is that you, uh, you are to believe you have to have faith to be saved. Well, the faith is a very key ingredient, but we're saved by grace. It's the grace of God that saves us. And the faith is the gift, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Guess what? It comes together. It starts making sense. How was I born again? Well, He came in and gave me life. Gave the Word of God. Look in John 5.25. Now, this may sound like a strange one. You might have seen all those other ones. You say, 5.25? What are you talking about? What? What? Jesus speaks. Most assuredly. That means, hey, I'm telling you the truth here even more than you can even imagine. Okay? Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus is speaking here. Listen, right? The hour is coming and now is. is, When the dead... I want you to check this out. When the dead... What's the word? Dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Dead. How dead is dead? Is deader more than dead? Can somebody be deader than another person? The dead is dead. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. What is he saying here? Jesus says it right in John. The dead will hear the voice. That means something had to wake them up. You know what the great illustration is? I just heard it. Lazarus. Lazarus. Come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Do you think he could have come out of the dead? And still to this day, I'm wondering if he thought it was that great of a deal. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, Lord. Yeah. It was great back there. Got to be back here. What a reunion it was. But Lazarus didn't choose to come out of there. Jesus calls him out of there. He chose him to... To, to do that. And that's a great illustration of that. He was dead. Three days. Stop. Dead. God made us alive when we're dead in our sins. Those who have been begotten of God are believing. Now, does that make sense? Those who are begotten of God or born of God are believing. Belief is the result of of being born again. Aha! Uh-huh. Our present continuing faith that we have right now is a result of the evidence of what happened in our past when we were begotten by God. If you've been born again, if you've been regenerated, if you've been given new life by God, it will show, manifest itself in an ongoing, continual faith from here on out. Faith, hope, and love, these three gifts will remain. You will have faith the rest of eternity. So much for losing it. 
If you recognize that Jesus is the Redeemer, that He's the Savior, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Son of God, you are born of God. If you're presently believing in Christ, and what we define there in 1 John verses 1 and 5, uh, in the past you've already been born of God, and it affects the very present tense because you are believing. That happened in your past. The new life has affected your belief today. Do you see that? Now, we have to go on the authority of God's Word on that. And this passage that is right here before us helps us with that. When John wrote this, he made it so simple, but isn't it profound whenever he says that Jesus the Christ is born of God? Wow. Salvation is a work of God from the start to the finish. It started before the foundation of the world, continues all the way through eternity. And even in our individual salvation, we come to the very uh, terms with the fact that personally, God is the one who instigated the very first move in our individual experience that we have with Him. And that's why we can give Him glory. And now we have nothing to boast about, as He says. But, 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 but I, I had faith in God. Yeah, you certainly did. And I made a choice. Yeah, you certainly did. Why did you do that when you were dead in your trespasses and sins? Because God did it. That's why you were able to say that. And now it's all of God, not 99% and 1% me, right? As we have heard, uh, I think, Billy Graham say, 99% God and 1% us, but that's not biblical. Okay, now we go to the... That's, that's the what test? Doctrinal test. We believe in something that's evidence. Now we go to the love test. Now because you've been born of God, it's not really 1218, is it? <laughs> I'm an hour behind. I didn't set it today. Everyone who loves Him... Who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. A true Christian love loves the Father. I mean, that's that's a that's a gimme, isn't it? That's simple. Uh, if you have Jesus Christ in your life, you have the Holy Spirit. You're going to manifest love. There's no way that you can keep from it because it is the fruit of the Spirit. And it will eventually bear fruit there. Sometimes it doesn't look so good, but it will do that. Faith without love is really not effectual faith. Faith that does not lead to love is meaningless. And love that is not based on faith, you can have some kind of love, but it's not based on the faith here. It's absolute powerless. It's worthless. Ultimately. So first that we love is God, found in verse 1. We love Him. We're begotten of Him. If the life of God is in you, then you will love the Father. If you love God, you will express that to Him. You will desire to praise, to worship Him, to pray to Him, to read His Word. You will desire to obey Him. You will desire to love others. Uh, 
My, all of a sudden, it's a change in your life. Before, you didn't have that kind of desire. And all of a sudden, you want to meet with God's people. You want to praise Him. You want to sing to Him. You want to pray to Him. You want to take communion. And all those elements that's involved with what? Worship God. You want to worship Him. You want to submit your life to Him. He is Lord. He is Messiah. He is God. We do that because we love to do it. It's all about Him. Now, the next one is found in verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, we keep His commandments. We're running into all the tests here today, aren't we? Just coming right together. It's just like John is saying it a different way, and now he just compacts them all together right there in a few short verses. A couple of verses, actually. And so, we will love others. When we love God, an automatic result of that is that we will love Others. We will love His children. When you get the fundamental doctrines of the faith, which we had in verse 1, when you have that, then you unite together with brothers and sisters. And you can see how the early church did that. Immediately the Word of God came, the Gospel came, all of a sudden they just started meeting together. You had the 120 in the, uh, the upper room, and all of a sudden it multiplied to thousands. And they all met together and did it even daily and broke bread and they surrounded themselves around the apostles' doctrine. Hey, can't think of anything better. That's what the church did. That's what the church does now. And what what was it around? This right here. The Word of God. So, we love to be with brothers and sisters in the fellowship. God has a tendency to bless that kind of unity. You felt that? You think God blesses? I believe He does. I know He does. If you love His people, you want to be with them. Uh, you can pray for them. You can help mature them. They can help mature you. You can counsel them. They can counsel you. You speak to them kindly. They speak to you kindly. You exhort them. You can trust in what they say if it's based on the Word of God. You encourage them. They encourage you. You confront them. They confront you. Oh, no, that's not part of the deal, is it? <laughs> you do whatever you need to do in the body of Christ. And that is what we see in this New Testament right here. The spiritual benefit. Uh, look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. That, that happens to be the chapter that deals with the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at verse 6, though. Chapter 5, verse 6. 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avail anything, but faith working through love. It's not the externals. It's not the circumcision thing. That's not it. We're talking about faith working through love. Galatians, how foolish are you as you're going back to your old ways of life? Here's what it is. Here's the works. It's faith working through love. You're going to show that you have faith by your what? Your love. Love comes because of your faith. Faith produces love. You know what love produces? Obedience. (laughs) It just kind of keeps going down the line. Anyway, that's a second priority. Faith and then love. Hey, whoever God loves, that's who we love. Hmm. Wow. That's right. If He loves them, then I love them. I need to show that though. 
Oh, that's where the fruit of the Spirit is shown, isn't it? Okay. Thank you, Lord. Now, do you know, we're still in verse 2. But actually, we've already covered kind of verse 5 a little bit. So we're going to continue verses 2 into 3, but we're moving along. Are you ready? Alright. All of this is being set up. This is the third test. By this, we know that we love the children of God. How do we know that? How do we know we love God? How do we know we love others? Maybe I'm just faking it. It says, when we love God and keep His commandments. This is so simple. John, love produces obedience. Faith produces love. Love produces obedience. Let's put this together. We believe in God. We believe in Christ who is God. And that faith produces love. The love produces obedience. We have a genuine proof of faith by our loving obedience. Obedience and love go together. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Wow, those two are just right on there, right? By the way, then you have a song dealing with faith and obedience, which is trust and obey. Do they have the word love in that song? Probably do. I don't know. Anyway, God is the object, right? All of our affections that we have. We love Him. We desire to obey Him. We love to do His laws. And it says, dropping down into the end of verse 3, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. When you hear the word commandment, you go, ooh, sounds like law, sounds like legal. There's something I've got to do. And He says, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. Hey, it's not burdensome. You've got to like this. It's not burdensome. You keep His commandments because it's just a natural thing to do. You desire to do it. Jesus says, hey, if you'd really love Me, you'd do what I tell you. If you really love Me, you'd do what I tell you. So the proof of faith is loving obedience. Faith, love, peace. 1 John 2 Three through four. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. John has already said this before. This is nothing new, is it? Whoever says I know Him but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and that truth is not in him. Uh, early church, they were going around saying, "Hey, I know Christ. I know Him," but they had no obedience. And that's what John is saying. Hey, watch those guys. They're going to be known as the Gnostics one of these days. You watch out for them. <laughs> 1 John 3.24 Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. There's another key word. Keep commandments and abide. John uses that quite frequently, doesn't he? Abide. Live. Minnow. Hoople minnow. Stick around. Live in. Abide in. Romans 6.17 says that they obeyed from their hearts obeyed from the heart. There's obedience. And it's not a burdensome thing to do. Romans 6.17 But God, be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, that's where we were. We sinned. We loved to be sinning. At the same time, we were slaves. And we just loved it and we didn't even know we were slaves. And we went around saying, I'm free. I have free will. And we just sin like the devil, you know? And we're, all at the same time, we're saying, but yeah, I have free will. <laughs> no, you were under bondage to sin, Satan, death, hell, everything else. You were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart what? 
that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. What's that form of doctrine? It's a gospel. It's the truth. It's having faith in that truth. There was a heart change in us. Now all of a sudden we wanted to obey Him. Boy, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? I think that's a supernatural work when all of a sudden we have a changed way of thinking, a changed way of living. John fourteen fifteen. John in the Gospel. John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commandments. That was to the apostle. This is the same chapter that deals with I. Well, in chapter fifteen, it's the next chapter over. He will say, "I am the vine; you are the branches. Abide in me." Right, and then he's talking about the word of God. If you keep my commandments, fifteen ten. You will abide in my love. Just like it's going to show that you are really for real. You abide. How about Matthew eleven twenty eight through thirty? Everybody knows this. This is beautiful. Matthew eleven, and you go, oh yeah, I know this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you. Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he says, If you love me, obey my commandments. My commandments are not burdensome. By the way, I give you the power to be able to do them. You'll learn from me. My yoke is easy. If the commandments are not burdensome, what are they? They're desirable. The law, the Word of God, the commandments that come from the Bible are actually something that are not something we go, oh man, i got to do this again. I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. No, 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 no. They are something that we delight in. Let's use that word, delight are you delighting in God's commandments? We delight in them. Well, I want to tell you, that's a scriptural word. Look at Psalms 40, verse 8. Here's our delight. And this is what the word uh, means. I mean, this is true delight. Psalm 40, verse 8. This word's going to keep appearing here, right in the Psalms. I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is within my heart. He put that law there. He softened our heart that used to be hard. And He put the law in there. He says, That's what I delight in God. I just love to do Your will. Hmm. Psalm 119, verse 24. Longest chapter in all of the Bible. 119, verse 24. Here we go. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. What's testimonies? What's counselors? It's the Word of God. It's the commandments. Every verse in this chapter is dealing with the Word of God. His testimony. His law. His Word. Every verse. That's what this psalm is about. The excellencies and supremacy of the Word of God. And here he says, I take delight in them. Let's go to 
Psalm 119, verse 35. Oh, we're going to stay in that chapter. Make me walk in the path of Your commandments. Make me walk right in there, Lord. Make me do it. Why? For I delight in it. I just love to do it. It's a joy. I just love to walk in God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 92. Unless Your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Perished in that. But Your law, Your Word, Your commandments was my delight. That is what I love. Oh, if Your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Loving God means admiring and valuing and treasuring up and desiring Him because He is supreme. Your delight that you have is not burdensome. It's the exact opposite. It's a delight. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Next book over after Proverbs. Chapter 12, verse 13. Are you delighting in God's Word today right here as we go through it? Man, if you're not, I'm wondering, are you sleeping? Did did that hour change mess you up? (laughs) Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Okay, I want to hear it. Fear God. Keep His commandments. For this is man's all. This is what it's about. You want to sum it all up? Fear God. Keep His commandments. That's not bad. Hey, memory verse for today. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all. This is what it's about. This is where everything is headed. That's what it's about. The basis of this whole unbegrudging obedience here is the power of the new birth to overcome the world. And if we're taking joy in His Word of God, even when we're afflicted, and we go to that Word, and we rejoice in it, you know what? We, rec- we start to recognize, oh, that's right, I'm an overcomer here. Boy, it sure doesn't see. I don't see it. I don't feel it. That's what it says. Hey, hey, if you get in those situations, just kind of circle those verses we just did. Hopefully, were they on the outline? Were the songs there? Uh... Did you need them again? I had some other ones that were just like it, but I'm not going to go through those. Uh, you want me to tell them? Psalm 40, verse 8, and then go to Psalm 119, 24. Psalm 119, verse 35. Psalm 119, verse 92. It's talking about being delight, delighted, even in affliction. It can be. Well, you could have all the... Now, listen to this. You could have all the doctrine and be able to expound, to pontificate. I mean, to just... Exposit the Word of God. I mean, you can have all that and if you don't have love, you're not going to heaven. Wow. If you don't have holiness, let's say, well, I love the, I love people and, you know, and, and I believe that Jesus is God, but if you don't have holiness, you're not going to heaven. I mean, you, you, you may not be converted. Wow, that's pretty serious, isn't it? Maybe... You say, well, I have I have love for people that really don't have doctrine. And even like to do things legally. I like to do things, you know, hey, this is for God. But if you don't have the right doctrine, you're not going to go to heaven. See, so we have to have all three. All three of these tests have to be passed. 
And it's only in Christ that we can do that. That's the thing. That's the deal. And it says that coming up here as we move into verse 5. But we have to do verse 4. For whatever is born of God, we already talked about that, overcomes the world. We get into the juicy part here. I love this part. This is the victory that has overcome the world. And it's like he puts you on pause. You ready for it? <laughs> it's like in my Bible it has a dash there. Do you have that too? Yeah. And he's okay, okay, okay. John, what is it? What is the victory? You guys already know. What overcomes the world? I want to know. I'm waiting. You're on the edge of your seat. And he says, our faith. That's what overcomes the world. You mean all this stuff I deal with? I have to go through? You mean really I, I can overcome it by faith? Yeah. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's an overcomer. It's in the errorist tense, which means has overcome. And that's probably the way that your Bible reads. Overcomes. Uh, overcome. You ha- that has overcome the world. It's, a, it's an arrow's tense. It indicates a victory that's already won. It's been achieved in the past. Once and for all, and the effects are here today. What is he talking about? What victory? I see no victory. Boom. Where do you look? You go back to the cross at Calvary, and that's where it's possible to overcome the world. It's already been done. It is finished. He has nailed it to the cross. The flesh, the devil, all those battles that you have, and the word here is Nike. Aha! That famous tennis shoe that we all hear on about so much. You're probably wearing them maybe today. I uh, see them advertised all over the place. And it's a Greek word, which is the same Greek word that's used here, which means victory, overcome, Nike. You, uh, you can't find the world. I mean, I mean, you can't fight the world and overcome it. It doesn't come through some kind of organization. doesn't come through the government. doesn't come through politics. It can't even come through the Reformation. You see, Jesus overcame the world. We overcome it by faith, believing in Him. That's what gives the victory. Why? Because it joins us to Christ. We have that hose, that channel. It's called faith. And we're holding right on to it. And because we are connected now to Christ, we are placed into Christ, we are victorious through the cross of Jesus Christ who beat the world, who beat the flesh, who beat the devil, and we become united by faith with Him and we already overcame the world. The victory is done. Remember that the next time a struggle happens. Remember your victory. We've already won. We've already won. There are battles, but the overall war is really done. We're waiting for...
for him to come back and lay claim to it. It takes a while. You know, war has been known to go on even after the war is over. People have battles before it's even announced to them. Or it's going to be announced, but it's actually done. Well, this thing is done, folks. We have won. Man, proclaim victory. This sounds like Easter Day, doesn't it? Only thing is, you have to have uh, Good Friday before Easter Sunday. Yeah. You have to, what is it, the, the famous t-shirt, pain before the game. Why, God, did you have to do it that way? <laughs> Won't you just come back? Oh, yeah, I know. Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? Oh, yeah. He has a reason. He has a reason. Okay, real quickly. We're going to finish with this. Ready? Turn to Revelation. Guess what? Last book of the Bible. And we're going to turn to chapter 2. And we're going to basically use chapter 2, chapter 3. And there's something to be excited about. Because he uses the word... Who wrote Revelation? John. John wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. John wrote the Gospel of John. John wrote Revelation. Guess what? He likes to use the word overcome. Whenever that really got into his skull, uh, I mean, he couldn't help but using it. And he uses it frequently in chapters 2 and chapter 3. Are you ready? Chapter 2, verse 7. He addresses the seven churches. And he says in verse 7, He who has an ear, hey, I'm, I'm listening. And let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Who is the one who overcomes? The one who has faith, right? So it definitely applied to this church. We can say, well, how does this apply to me? Well, do you have faith? Okay, it applies to you too. Directly, it started with them, but if you overcome, you're going to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The first delight for an overcomer is eternal enjoyment. You're just going to enjoy it without any kind of sin, without any anxiety, without any worry, without any pain. It's all gone, and everything is beautiful the way that it's supposed to be. Perfect. Now, is that something you're excited about? An overcomer gets this. Eternal enjoyment of God's presence right in the paradise that's called heaven. Let's go to the next one. You ready? Chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are you ready? Listening? He who overcomes, I've got that word circle there, shall not be hurt by the second death. We die once. That's it. We die physically. Spiritually, we were already dead. But here it is. No, no more second death. No. Wow, that's great. Good to know. Uh, my body has to die. And thank the Lord, because that's the only way I'm going to get out of this body. That's our problem. You know, we can complain about our problems or really be uh, really anxious about them. And really what it comes down to is, I really want to get out of this thing. <laughs> Verse 17, chapter 2. He who has an ear, ready? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is it? To him who overcomes, Nike, conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Well, the hidden manna. Manna, Moses, wilderness. That's what they fed on for 40 years. That's what they lived on. 
Great stuff. The hidden man. That was really representing who Jesus Christ. Because ultimately we eat of Him. We eat of Jesus Christ. And we feed on Him. The hidden manna. Jesus Christ who is now... He's hidden today. We can't see Him. Uh, he's got another one here though too. The same overcomer. I'll give him a white stone. White stone. I'll give him a jewel. I'll give him a crystal gem. I'll give him a diamond. How about that? <laughs> How about this, guys? Wow, I'll give him a diamond. What's this about? Well, if you were in the Olympics back at that time, which uh, those people would have understood, the winners would receive this diamond. They'd get a wreath, but they'd also get this precious crystal gem, and only them could be admitted to the, through the door that where all the other overcomers, the winners in the Olympics, could go into also and have this great celebration of overcomers. And you can't get in unless you have that precious gem, that white stone. <laughs> that was to the women. Huh? The guys don't get that. <laughs> uh, they get a better one, right? More bigger, right? <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, are you ready for more? The overcomer, verse 25, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end. You're going to show that you're an overcomer because you're going to work to the end. You're going to keep those. To him I will give Power over the nations. Power over the nations. We will rule and reign with Christ. Christ will be ruling. We'll be ruling with Him. We'll have power over the nation. What do you mean? I don't know. But we're going to be governing somehow. And he says that in 1 Corinthians 6 also. We've talked about that. Where we will be judging angels. No, verse 27, He shall rule them with a rod of iron and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. Boom. Oh, wow. Uh, look at verse end of 27. I also have received my, from my Father and I'll give Him the morning star. Again, that's, that's Christ. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 3, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. Not just white, but gleaming white. So bright that it's like the noonday sun. That's the kind of white here that we're talking about. Just brilliant white. Uh, and our names will be blotted. Uh, and I will not blot out His name from the book of life. Our name will not be blotted out. We're in the book of life. We'll be confessed before the Father. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more. I'll write him on the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. This comes out of heaven from my God. I'll write on him my new name. Wow. Uh, These pillars, the idea is to be permanent. They were made out of stone, marble, gold, inlays could possibly be like a perpetual memorial or honor. That's what they had in these pillars and these temples. And he says, hey, that's what you're going to be, a pillar of their permanent. Verse 21. Verse 21. To him who overcomes... That's the last one we're going to do. I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Are you listening? 
Does that next verse says, He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We will be taken all the way up to sit down with God on His throne as Jesus also overcame. That shows victory. The conquerors. And you say, don't put me in that category. I just want to be a glorified janitor. You might as well go ahead and take it because this is what God is giving. We will sit on His throne. In the sense, I don't know what that means. You're going all the way up there to snuggle there right with the Son and the Father on His throne. It's immense. Those are the delights. Are you looking forward to those? Do you believe those? Or do you think that's just pie in the sky? What do you think? you think it's real? Faith is what gets us in that kind of thinking. We truly believe it. John Piper, I'll close with this, said this, The new birth happens as we are brought into contact with the living and abiding Word, the Gospel. The first effect of this new birth is that we see and receive God and His Son and work and His will as supremely beautiful and valuable. We see that His will is valuable, it's beautiful. That's faith. This faith overcomes the world. That is, it overcomes the enslaving power of the world. You're no longer under the enslaving power. No more bondage. To be our supreme treasure, faith breaks the enslaving spell of the world's allurement. By doing that, faith leads us into obedience with freedom and joy. God and His holy will look beautiful and not burdensome. The new birth has taken the blinders off. We see things for what they are. We are free to obey with joy. Is that your desire? Let's pray. Father, we thank You.